Well, the last time I was at my grandmother's house, I had a, a really special treat. She showed me a picture that she kept in a really safe place. And it was a picture of my great-grandmother and a picture of her mother and a picture of her grandmother. And we did the math and we looked back at, uh, uh, at different uh, uh, photo albums and stuff. And we figured out that my great-grandmother's grandmother was born in the late 1850s. Just like rap, and, and I knew my great grandmother until I was 19 years old. She went to go be with the Lord when I was a freshman at Texas Tech University, and she lived, she was a great woman, lived a great life. And just seeing this picture of her in the 1920s with her grandmother in this picture, not smiling because that was weird back then. You don't smile in, in pictures back in the, in the 1920s. Uh, but I, I, I just couldn't help but just be mesmerized. Oh, what? What was seen in these generations? How life has actually changed from the late 1850s, pre-Civil War, whenever this woman who knew intimately my great-grandmother, who I knew really, really well and was a vital part of my childhood, how much change had happened? How, how much life was different? How much quieter it was? Think about that. To where they're, you know, you and I, we, we fall asleep with our phone and it hits us in the face and we're like, okay, better put it away. You know, like late, late at night, you're like, I guess I should better stop watching these videos. Like no, uh, no cars in the 1850s, uh, no, no planes, no Air Force, all right? Very little uh, uh, university scattered throughout the land. Totally different place, totally different place. Not as many states back then as we have now. Everything was different, and I, and I couldn't help but think of just the quietness of life and the difference in the quality of life that that woman, who I didn't know, um, but knew her granddaughter, um, experienced in life that we are now experiencing. And I bring all, I bring all of that up uh, because whenever the Bible talks about life, it's, it kind of transforms and changes based on who who you are and what area you live in and where, what country you're born, born into. And there's this quality of life that seems to be different depending on where you are and what, you're, what you've immersed yourself into. And in our cultural moment, what do, what do we have? We, we hardly ever have quiet to really think about uh, the eternal aspects of who we are, Right? Like I said, you know, the phone falls on us, and I was like, okay, I guess uh, I should go to bed now. And then we immediately fall asleep. When's the quiet that when we actually reflect on our life, how long it is? What's the quality of it? How long, how long are we to endure? And then what is next? And our cultural moment lends us to suppress all this thinking of our mortality. And what Jesus is talking about today is eternal life. And he says in verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And oftentimes Jesus will use different imagery to communicate the life that he is trying to bring us. And today he's saying, I'm the true bread of life. I'm the true bread. And you say, wow, Jesus, this is a hard saying. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. What are you saying? Remember, I brought this up a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus is a Jewish teacher He's a Jewish teacher, so whenever he teaches, he teaches in pictures. 
He's teaching us in pictures. He's not literally meaning this. He's trying to create an image that whenever we think about who he is and how great he is, we think of the image that he is presenting. See, a Western mind thinks of things through lists. What do I need to do and how can I accomplish it and how efficient can I be whenever I accomplish it, right? This is how we think through even the, uh, the religious categories of our life. But Jesus is a Jewish teacher who is trying to, to get people to remember and digest the things that he is trying to teach. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying that I have a life that is supposed to be brought in and made part of you. That's what he's saying. I'm the bread of life. I have a life that is supposed to be brought into us and become part of us. And Jesus, listen, Jesus knew way more about than all nutritionists about, you know, breaking down complex carbohydrates into simple sugars and, you know, like all that. He, he understood how uh, the body breaks down uh, digestion and turns simple sugars into energy. And he understood that whole thing. And what Jesus is describing here as the bread of life is I am the fuel of this life. I'm the true fuel that gives you life, which is truly life. Christianity gives you a vitality, a purpose, a fuel in which you have have the opportunity to experience life, which is truly life. Is that your definition of Christianity? Because that's what Jesus is teaching here. And I hope what you've seen over the last couple of weeks, or maybe this is your first time here, if so, welcome. So honored that you would uh, consider this place a place of worship so that you could come and hear God's word taught and preached. And, um, and so I'm, I'm thankful that you're here, but we have been marching through the gospel of John. And as we've been marching through the gospel of John, what we see is we see different aspects of Jesus's teaching. He, he, we've learned that he's the Lord of joy. But you turn over this multifaceted mosaic diamond, which is the gospel of Jesus, and you also see that he's the Lord of suffering. You say, well, oh man, he's the Lord of suffering, he's the Lord of joy, and today we see that he's the bread of life. He's like, Jesus, what are you teaching us? What are you, what are you showing us? We're showing, he's showing us in the Bible the holy, 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 multifaceted, beautiful diamond that is the gospel. That the more you turn it, the more beauty you see in it. The more, glimmer, the, the more the light glimmers off of it and, and, and shines into our soul to where there's different parts of the gospel that whenever we drill down and we look at them, we say, wow, God, you're amazing. But then we turn it over, it's like, wow, you're even more amazing. Uh, how, how much depth do you have, Lord? How much breadth is there in the, 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 the goodness of your, your riches and the knowledge of you? How deep does it go? And today we're gonna see even more depth. Because what Christianity truly is, and what we're going to see today, is this God-given fuel from the heavenly power that resurrected Jesus from the dead to surge through you in a transformational way. This is what the bread of heaven wants to give us. Is that your definition of it? Is Christianity breaking up old, unholy habits within you? Uh, is it transforming relationships that you have into courageous one? Uh, is it reforming you authentic, uh, authentic, um, authentically? Is it governing, giving you a governing purpose in all that you are? Is it bringing you real life? Is it bringing you real life? So today we're just going to ask this text a couple of questions. The first thing we're going to ask it is, what is this life that Jesus is talking about? What is this life that Jesus is talking about? Where does it come from? And then I'm going to ask you, are you experiencing it? 
Redeemer, are you experiencing the life that the bread of life is trying to offer you today? Or are you in this culture of existence? Are you experiencing life, which is truly life? Or are you existing well? Are you well-adjusted human being? That's what, that's what the Bible is calling us to. So let's, let's dig in right, right um, from the jump. What is the bread of heaven? What is true life? The first thing we need to, I need to point out to us is we're at a disadvantage in trying to understand this. We're at a disadvantage because English, in, uh, English uses the word life in a, mu- in a multitude of ways. And in Greek, they had multiple words for life. And so they had two words. Uh, the Bible talks about life in two different words. Um, uh, boas and zoe. I'm probably not saying those right, but you get the, get, kind of get the picture. Uh, zoe and uh, uh, boas. Boas. Now, think about your science real fast, your science classes, and you probably see uh, some, some of the, uh, the prefixes in your science class. What is biology? Biology is the studying, study of what makes life work, you know. It's the, the operating system of living organisms. But what is zoology? Zoology is the study of habitats, right? A zoo is not just a place where someone, uh, where an animal lives and exists. A zoo is a place where uh, an animal habitats, uh, gives where a, an animal has real life. So that's why zoos look like the natural habitats that uh, this animal lives in. So we're trying to give the animal life, which is truly life. And what we see in Zoe is it's not talking about just is your heart beating, is your brain working, is blood coursing through your veins. What Jesus talks about and the word that is used in this passage whenever he talks about his eternal life is this word zoe, zoe, which is talking about a quality of life, a habitation. What makes you tick? What really gives you life? What, is, what exhilarates you? What gives you energy? What gives you joy? Because listen, there's an important contrast in the Bible that I want to point out. And there's probably some of you in this room that have really struggled with the idea of hell. And I, I, I'm thankful that you'd come here and kind of listen to our perspective and stuff like this. Listen, the, the Bible talks about hell uh, and, and uh, we believe the Bible here. But let me give you a good definition of hell. A good definition, this is the contrast that we see in the Bible. Heaven is a place of eternal Zoe. Heaven is a place of eternal life, and hell is a place of eternal boas, of eternal existence. Okay? What heaven is, according to Jesus, is life which is truly life. Life which is truly life. And what hell is, is a place where the soul just goes to exist forever. And what Jesus is calling us to is eternal life, is eternal life. And so what do we see here in our passage? John 6, 27, follow along with me. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal zoe, eternal life, which the Son of Man must give you. The bread of heaven is ultimate life. That's what he is promising you is ultimate life. It is zoe. And all of us have a zoe that we're living for. All of us has a governing thing that we say, this is what gives me real life. This is what makes me tick. This is what exhilarates my heart. What is that for you? 
What is really living for you? Because we all, the Bible talks about this all the time, we all have these false zoes that capture us. We all have this false thing that we are chasing after to say, if I only had that, then I'd be living, man. Then I'd really be living. What are we saying when we say that? Are we saying that, uh, you know, if I only had this in my life, then my heart would beat? No. We're saying that, you see the difference there? We're saying, if I only had this thing over here, then, man, I'd be living then. I'd have zoe. I'd have a quality of life that would make my heart soar. And that's what, that's what we desire. So you see the difference? You see the difference? Because the Bible is talking about I, Jesus saying, I am the bread that gives you real life. I am, I am giving you a quality of life that will never spoil. All these other false zoes will spoil. They'll spoil. And so he says, work for the food. Don't work for the food that perishes. Work for the food that endures forever. Work for the dirt, food that endures for eternal life. And the Bible is constantly talking about these false zoes. Let me give you an example. Uh, Stephanie and I were really blessed um, by uh, an old college roommate saying, uh, entering us into this uh, Instagram, like, vacation giveaway. And we won, and we won, and it was super awesome, and we went uh, at the end of January, and it was at this really cool place, it was kind of like one of those geo net things that was like a luxury uh, glamping, if you know if you know what I'm talking about. That had this over this deck on top of a mountain overlooking the Tennessee Smoky Mountains. It had a hot tub up there. It was like snowing one day, and so we were like hot tubbing on top of a mountain while it was snowing. And uh, the thought went through my mind, man, this is living. This is the life. So we got out there, and we're like, wow, this is. This is pretty awesome. This is pretty awesome. I could get, I could get used to this, right? Uh, this is, uh, we, could, we should vacation here pretty often because this is, this is real life. But you know what happened? You probably know what happened. Day two, still really excited about it. Day three, you want a hot tub? I guess we could hot tub. Um, you want to go out and look at the mountains again? They're getting kind of, kind of, they're just the same mountains. Could we just like scroll and look at new mountains? Is that a thing? Could we, could we uh, do, something, do something else? What happened? The, the zoe, the false zoe started to wear off. Stopped being enamored so much by the, um, by the views and by the environment and by how cool we felt like it was. See, it was a false zoe. It, was a, it, it wasn't real life. It, wasn't li- it, was, it was a zoe that was perishing. Even though it was great in the moment, it just started to fade away, and it lost its effect. And we all have these things in our life. We all have false zoes. It, it could be the, our pursuit of money. It could be the, the pursuit of preserving um, our good looks or, uh, or trying to look better than we actually are. It could be our workout program or, or playing like that. It could be someone that is completely dependent upon you. And you have decided that that gives me ultimate life and purpose, like a spouse or a child. It could be the pursuit of the one if you're single. It could be your vacation schedule. But all of these things, like day three on top of the mountain at the glamp site in the hot tub, all these things will perish. These things wear out. And we just need more and more and more to to hit that same high because it's false. It's not real life, what Jesus is talking about. He says real life in this world, the world that I created, can only be found and given through me. Unless 
the bread of heaven, unless you receive the bread of heaven into your life and digest it and say, this is what life is actually about, then you will not have life, which is truly life. That's what, that's what this passage is talking about. That's what it's trying to communicate to what is real Zoe, what is real life, what is the real thing that we should be pursuing. It's this, the bread of heaven that is found in the person of Jesus. But notice that Jesus has to give this to us. Verse 27 says, for, uh, work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man must give us. Our cultural moment tells us that, that no, no, real life is something that we discover deep within us. Uh, we, went, we went to Tarzan, the musical, yesterday, me and my family. Didn't know it was a musical. Still recommend it. Um, but uh, still recommend it. But you know that song, Trust Your Heart, Let Fate Decide. Trust your heart. Where's life which is truly life? Isn't, isn't it found from within, found within your heart? Just look deep in the recesses of your heart, and that's the wellspring of life, right? No. No, this is something that must be given to us by God. And this is hard for us because we think of, it's like, okay, God has to give this to me. That means I have to submit everything over to him. Isn't that whenever life gets taken away? Isn't that when life gets boring? I was fishing with a, a, a man one day, and I, I, I work in Jesus as is typically what I try to do whenever I meet new people. And I started talking about him, and, and I said, man, do you have a story like that? After I kind of shared my testimony, he said, yeah, I do. He said, uh, he's an older man in his uh, late 60s, and he said, in the, he says, in the early 70s, whenever I was going to college, I knew that the Bible was true, and I knew that Jesus was real and all of that, but I was just so bummed out. He says, I, everyone that I knew that followed Jesus was just a stick in the mud. And I thought, like, I just thought that if I was going to be one of those Christian types, I was just no longer going to have any fun whatsoever. And that's still around in our cultural moment, is it not? We think that life, Zoe, life which is truly life, is done if we go all in with Jesus. Isn't that the, the secular lie that you and I believe? No more laughing, no more fun, no more joy, no more parties. But what Jesus is saying in this passage is no, 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 no. You've got it wrong. That's actually a lie. The real parties actually start whenever you are with me. The real laughing actually starts. The real fun, the real joy. You, you go to parties where people are actually rooting and establishing each other in each other's lives in a meaningful way. They're not trying to network. They're not trying to, 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 to work, work you over for a different opportunity. They're not, getting, they're not doing this, that, and the other because of their lust or because of they're, they're chasing some drug or because of uh, their drink of food or, or trying to get good vibes and just use you all the time. No, real community, real party, real, um, real laughter starts whenever you actually enter into the family of God. And authenticity comes in. And authenticity comes in where the parties that we all really want to be a, be a part of, look at me, the parties that you and I really want to be a part of is a party where we are seen, known, cared for, laughed with, shared experiences with, to where there's a giving of one anothering happening. And Jesus is saying that, that type of environment, that type of community, that only happens whenever I'm your bread of life, whenever I'm the thing that you are pursuing with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do we see this? Do we see this? Because what the gospel does is it makes us truly alive. It gives us real life. Not this fake stuff. Not this doling sense of reality. 
not what obsessive, uh, excessive food or drink can give you. What does that do? It just, it's, a, it's a depressant. It's a depressant to dull the reality of life. But what the gospel does is it makes, it's, it's, a, it's a stimulant. It's a stimulant. Then it gives you life, which is actually truly life. It makes you think about the truth for the first time. It, it helps point you constantly to flourishing. It points you to the reality of life because what the gospel is is that God, our creator, decided to come down, dwell with us as man. And he lived in such a way that on your best days you were supposed to live but could not. And then, then he died the death that you were condemned to die in your place. Now if you stop trusting in your false zoes and you trust in him alone and make him your ruler, your Lord, your master, your king, he will become your everlasting life-giving friend. Adopt you into his family. Give you everlasting purpose. A community where you can be fully known and fully loved. New power to resist temptations. Doesn't this sound like life? Real life? Hope and suffering, poise under pressure. He wants to turn you into who you really want to be. He wants to turn you to who you really want to be. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Are, are, are you resting in him? Are you saying, Cody, what are you, what are you talking about? What, do you, what, what does this mean? Reality. Reality. How does, a, how does a Christian, how does a Christian feel better about this life and this world, preaches the reality of this world that Jesus is Lord of all to himself or herself over and over and over again. And if you trust in false Zoe's, guess what? Your life looks like an everlasting quest. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. An everlasting quest of maybe this drug will help me feel better, right? Maybe this drink will help me feel better. Maybe this friend group will help me feel better. Maybe a new spouse will help me feel better. Maybe this plane will help me feel better. Maybe this major change and maybe this career change will help me feel better. How, do a Christ, how does a Christian feel better in this life? By preaching the truth of the gospel to themselves. The truth of our identity. The truth of the reality. The truth of his love over us despite our present circumstances. Do not work for the food that perishes, Redeemer but for the food that endures to eternal life. That is the true bread of heaven that Jesus gives you. Life, real life, the life that you want, the life that you are longing for, but you're trusting in something else to give you. Turn to him. You say, Cody, where does, where does this bread come from? Where does it come from? Well, let's look at verse 35. It said, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. And we're in, a, we're in this weird cultural moment that uh, I think it's kind of brought on by kind of the, uh, the, pop, the rise in popularity of critical theory within our um, social imaginary right now. But there's this weird thing that's going on to where... Uh, people think that Christianity is just a Western religion. It's a Western thing. So if you're a Western person, you're probably inclined to, to, to figure out what it means to be a Christian. Why? Because Western thinkers, what do they do? They think through things logically. They, Western 
Uh, people want to be philosophers. You know, they want things to work out logically. And Christianity actually checks some of those boxes for, for people. And so I'm, uh, we're probably, uh, everyone in this room is a Western, Western thinker by nature. And so they're trying to figure out systems and logical, cogent arguments that work to filter your worldview through. And so you might be here because you're like, okay, God is holy. I get that. We are sinful. We need a bridge to get us. There's a gap that I cannot climb. Jesus is that bridge, and I need to cross that bridge to get to God. That's, that's logical. And there's this, real, there's this uh, uh, kind of thought process of Christianity is just for the Western mind, not for the Eastern mind. The Eastern mind is more, is more mystical, right? The Eastern mind is you need to find uh, your God consciousness in the chair that you're sitting in right now. You know, like uh, you, you just need to uh, uh, try to flush away all materialism and become one with everything. That's kind of the, the east-west dichotomy, correct? The east-west dichotomy. You become a mystic, and then you will have an, a real, true encounter with God, whatever that is, whatever that is. And so there's this debate, right, kind of within our cultural moment. Uh, who's Christianity for? Who's this bread of heaven for? Who's this life that, what type of person is this life Uh, being offered to through Jesus? Is it east or west? Do we need to become a mystic or do we need to become a philosopher? And the answer is neither. Neither. Notice how the Bible, notice how the Bible always talks about children. Let the little children come to me, Jesus said. Listen, a a child cannot be a philosopher and a child cannot become a mystic, but a child can submit to a king. A child can welcome a friend. A child can know a person. A child can know a person. And what Christianity is calling this bread of heaven is extremely personal. Where is this bread found? This bread is saying that, this passage is telling us that the bread of heaven is not in a set of religious codes. It's not in a mystical experience. It is a person. It is a person. So let's pause for a test, shall we? Let's pause for a test. What is your definition of Christianity? What is it right now? In your mind's eye, unless, and and listen to me, I'm saying this as a friend, unless your view of Christianity is radically personal, then you do not know this God. Unless your view of Christianity is radically personal, you do not know this God. You say, wait a second, Cody. I say my prayers. I'm here, ain't I? How dare you say? How dare you say that uh, I don't know Christianity? That's just your, that's your subjective opinion. No, no, that's what this passage is teaching us. It's teaching us that the bread of heaven is a person, is a person. And what God is calling you to is relationship with a person, not a set of uh, uh, philosophies to follow, not a mystical experience to be had, but a relationship a relationship. And let me press in even more. Dear friends, look at me. Do you say your prayers or do you pray? Do you say your prayers or do you pray? Because there's a big difference. There's a big difference between the two. Are you a Christian socialite who has learned, who has learned how to adapt, has learned to adapt in Christian environments? Or are you being relational with this God? Do you know how to pray out loud in groups of Christians or do you pray out loud to a God that you know? Because there's a big difference. 
Can you make an A on a theological test? Or do you know the God that the theological test points to? Is your God, is, is he a he to you? Is God the Father a he? Is Jesus a he? Is the Spirit a he to you? Do you know him on that level? Because John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life, zoe. This is eternal zoe, that you may know God, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That you may know. This word know here is the same word for Adam knew his wife, Eve. And what makes a good marriage? Everyone that I've talked to that have uh, has gone through a divorce and, and, and experienced just the brokenness of uh, the covenant of marriage, they said uh, that there seems to be like a, a pattern. And there seems to be a pattern, and I'm not making light of this. I'm just trying to um, walk through it objectively. Seems to be a pattern of like we loved each other, we, we, got, we got married, and then the relationship turned into kind of a, a business relationship. We, we operated together. We knew how t- um, it was a quid pro quo relationship. I'll give you this, you give me that, and we kind of understand each other, and that's the beginning of the drift. The beginning of the drift kind of goes from a good thing to a business thing, and then it just slowly fades off until we say, let's not do this anymore. And so I bring all that up to change and think through, do you have a personal relationship with God or do you have a business relationship with God? Do you have a business relationship with God or have you actually come, through, come, come to the point in your life to where you're calculating, Lord, how can I sacrifice for you? How can I give myself over to you? Have you tasted the goodness of the Lord? Have you reached out with your heart and have you touched it? Have you seen how the Lord has prioritized you and has that led you to continual worship all the days of your life? Do you have a business relationship with God? Or do you have a real personal relationship with God? Because in the Bible Belt, in the Bible Belt here in North Texas, I've noticed as I talk to people about Jesus, two different types of testimonies. Of, of real believers, of real Christians that are walking with him and delighting him that say, I have life in God. And the first testimony is this, uh, kind of this uh, ACDC highway. I was on this highway to Hades, right? Uh, didn't care, uh, didn't care about God, didn't care about a relationship with God. And then all of a sudden, boom, just like uh, Paul was knocked off his horse and met the Lord Jesus. I met the Lord Jesus. And I'm not perfect now. I'm now turning around and stumbling towards Jesus. But I know who that Jesus is. So that's one. No relationship with God. Knocks me off my horse. Kind of changes the trajectory of my life. And now I'm walking towards a person that I'm getting to know over the course of this life. Or there's another and it's much more common. It's what I call the boring testimony, all right? No offense if this is you. By the way, I want my kids to have a boring testimony, just so you know. I want them to have this boring testimony to where they were raised as a good Pharisee. They were raised as a good Pharisee. And at some point in their life, as they were walking towards God, uh, uh, obeying Jesus because they wanted their mom and dad to be pleased with them, or they wanted the church or their youth minister or their pastor to look at them and say, you're doing a good job to where I served in the church and I did all this stuff. Then all of a sudden I realized and I looked up that I had a business relationship with God, that I did this because I wanted this from God. I wanted blessing from God, and anytime he didn't give that to me, I was angry at God. How dare you, God? How dare you? 
Look at all the stuff I've been doing at the church. And then they wake up and they realize, oh, he doesn't want a business relationship with me. He wants a personal one. And I have to repent from my business relationship that I had with God and turn and say, now I want to know this God. I want to treat the Bible not as a a set of religious codes, but as the words of my Savior speaking to me. And those are the two kind of uh, testimonies that I, I see in the Bible Belt. Those are the two things that I see, and I just want to press us into this. Have you transferred? Have you transferred your heavenly relationship status from a business relationship to a personal relationship? Or have you, have you been staying in business relationship the entire time? Because listen, if you are to the point to where you never, you, you, you don't know a time where you had no relationship with God or a business relationship with God, you're probably not a Christian. I'm going to say that again. If you've never come to the point in your life to where you got out a business relationship with God, or you realize that at one point you didn't have a relationship with God, you're probably not a Christian. And faithful are wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And I'm not trying to wound you to wound you. I'm trying to teach what this is saying. And I know it's unpopular, but I think it's true to the text. Have you transformed your relational status with God from being business to personal? Because this is what God is calling us to. It's what it's calling you to. Do you have a... How do you say, Cody, how do I know if it's personal? What is he teaching you lately? A, a, a relationship with a real person teaches you things. How do you know him better right now than you did a month ago, than you did a year ago? Uh, how, how intimate or is your relationship with him? Do, do you just do your spiritual disciplines because it's a duty, or do you delight to go into his presence? Do you say your prayers or do you pray? Do you pray to your God, Father, King, friend? Do you sense his love? Are you devoted to him? Are you willing to rearrange the structure of your life to be connected with him and the things that he calls us to be connected with? Is he a he? Test yourself, Redeemer. Is he a he? Is he personal or not? Where is this bread of heaven found? The person, the real resurrected at the right hand of the Father right now person of Jesus. This is how you connect with God. You say, well, how do I know? How do I know? How do I receive him? How do I receive the bread of life? Verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You believe and you receive. You believe and you receive. You say, Cody, how do I receive him? How do I receive him? How do, you, how do you come to him? How do you come to the Lord of all? Do you come to him and say, God, I'm hurting, fix me. I'm hurting right now. You better fix me. Is that how you come to the king? Is that how a child comes and stands before a king? No. He says, Lord, I'm sad. Fix my sadness. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? No. No. He's the king. How do we come before the king. Come to him in truth. In truth. How does a rebel get into the presence of the king? A rebel in his state of rebellion. 
does not get an audience of the king. The only way that a rebel gets an audience with the king is if he has promised, I am now surrendering. I am now laying down my arms. I am no longer going to chase after the things that I was chasing after. I am bowing before you, my now re true real king. See, a lot of people want to test out Christianity. You get what I'm saying? They want to test out Christianity as a philosophy before they d dive in with two feet. How can we test this thing out? So you start going to church. Let's see if this works, right? Uh, let's start going to church. Let's start, let's start praying a little bit. Let's say our prayers. Let's start reading the Bible. Let's join a group. And then after a while, you can be like, oh, you know what? That didn't, it just didn't work for me. I tried out that Christianity thing. It just didn't work. It's for some people, sure, maybe those weak-minded people, but it didn't, it didn't work for me. Maybe I'm a little bit more headstrong. Maybe there's something else out there. Maybe there's something else out there for me. And it's probably because you try to get an audience with the king without laying down your arms, without laying down your, and fully surrendering before God. How do you receive this bread of heaven into your life? When truth knowing and recognizing that you're standing before the king as a rebel. And the only way to receive the bread of heaven is believing the truth of this reality for yourself. And you say, Lord, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner and I deserve nothing from you. I have desired my own ways all of my life. And today I am repenting. I am turning to you, the Lord of all who lived the perfect life that I should have lived, who died the death that I should have died, and who rose again for the justification of my sins so that I can be with you and have zoe, life which is truly life, from this point on. He is the bread that was broken for you. Have you received him as broken for you? Bread is of no use to any of us in this room if we just smell it. Even if you lick it, you know, it doesn't, it, even if you lick it, it's of no use to you. You can starve to death in a bread factory. You can starve. What, what do you need? You need to break it down. It has to be broken in order for it to fuel you. Do you see that Jesus prioritized you so much that he was willing to be broken to give you the fuel of life. He was willing to go to the cross in order to give you the fuel of life. The life which is truly life. The life that you and I actually want. He's saying, you can have it. You can have it. Come to me. Come to me as a, as a rebel laying down your arms. Ready to receive real life. Lay down all your false zoes. And realize that you can't have a business relationship with this God. There is no business relationship with this God. It's just personal. Do you know him? Have you taken him in? Is he the fuel and quality of your life? That is my hope. That is my prayer. Christian, Christian in this room, this is a lot, of, uh, a lot of today has been pointing towards those that may or may not have either a relationship with him or at least a business relationship. But Christians, let me encourage you. Are you eating at his table? Are you coming to him often? How do you deal with the reality of this life? You take him in over and over and over again. You remind yourself of the truth that God has welcomed me into his kingdom to give me life. Don't believe the lies of this pathetic enemy of the God of this age. 
to where your life's over. It's not, it's not going to be, it's, uh, this isn't worth it. Following Jesus is for those fuddy-duddies. Just, just believe the Western thinking. Do, learn, learn the codes and you'll be good. That is eternal existence. Do you want eternal existence or eternal life? It's found in Christ, in Christ alone. Come to him. He's calling you. Do you hear his call? Let's pray.